0: Hi I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and there's been quite a lot happening as there usually is, everything from a bit of local news through to national, there's a bit of legal stuff, legislation, consultations that are pretty important with regards to the state of the property management industry as well but we'll just go through a few things here and we're going to start with something which is just in the uh, nice to see category. And this is that an article that was in the paper just uh, end of last month, actually. Uh, this is in stuff.co.nz. And this is about a, a massive mural being painted in Fielding, and it really is beautiful, beautiful. So this article says, the last and largest mural well underway for the Fielding Street Art Festival. So the final touches are being added to the largest and final mural being painted as part of the Manawatu Street Art Festival. So the artist called Swift Mantis has completed a large cat and centrepiece of his work on the Bowen Street Apartments with a praying mantis that accompanies it still to be finished. And this, uh, if you do happen to see it, is quite stunning indeed. His style is pretty particular. According to Marawatu Street Art Festival organiser Joe McMenimum, It's got shadowing. It looks like it's really coming out the wall, which is amazing. It's so cool to have something really striking and really, you know, if you're walking past, just go, wow, what is that? So the... So that's uh, on the uh, Bowen Street Apartments. The three other murals have been completed and the public car park behind Murray's Irish Bar as well uh, if you wanted to go and have a look at those. But this cat one in particular was, was pretty stunning. So that's not exactly related to property <laughs> although it does uh, appear on the properties. So a little bit of a tenuous link, link there. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the QV House Price Index. And this is about house price movement through New Zealand and gives an indicator of capital growth and how prices are trending, and in particular in this area. If you were interested in other areas, go on to qv.co.nz slash price index, and you can look up particular areas. So I actually decided I would look up Palmerston North and see what's been happening there. And the average value now of properties is sitting at a little bit over $750,000, and that's an annual growth rate of 18.1%, so really quite considerable indeed. The report does say that in the last three months Palmerston North City has decreased by 1.1% and really that's partly due to a number of measures that the government has brought in making it more difficult to buy and has cut a number of buyers out of the market both first home buyers and investors and so that's where there has been a a small decrease over a three month period but uh, the annual growth rate of 18.1% so things going up and, uh, in this region. It really is related to supply and demand and that sort of leads on to this other article that's more of a national article but this was by Rob Stock on stuff.co.nz. It says a third of home owners were out earned by their houses last year. In other words their houses went up more in value than they earned from their jobs. So how, how many? A third, one in three people, according to research company CanStar. And it wasn't a small survey. The survey of 18,400 people showed the high level of anxiety house prices were causing, especially among women worried for the financial futures of their younger relatives. That's according to CanStar manager, Jose George. He says, we remain anxious about the impact of house prices on our kids. Nearly half of the people, 48%, saying they worry about the next generation's ability to buy a house. But despite those concerns, only one in five of the respondents wanted a capital gains tax, he said. I'd argue uh, personally that there really is one, the Brightline test uh, by the Labour government. The rapid rises in property prices, though, have caused many people to give up on ever owning a home. But since the research was done in January and February, house prices have begun to fall in some areas. So over the years, the number of Kiwis identifying a, sorry over the year I should say the number of Kiwis identifying as first home buyers has shrunk dramatically. With the biggest fall amongst those in their 40s, they've just thought we're not going to get there. Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr voiced concern in August about the situation. Uh, that recent home buyers might soon be in, that's August of last year, and since then the prices have risen rather than fallen. At that time, he said, as house prices rose by eye-watering amounts, more than a third of potential buyers in their 40s tapped out, nearly the same percentage of those in their 30s withdrew from the market. The anxiety about the house price rises last year was strongest among high earners, the survey found. There was also increased pessimism over the number of years it would take for aspiring home buyers to save a deposit and that's really a shocker. In fact he says our belief in our ability to raise a deposit within a few years faded from 50% thinking it would take between two to four years to just 39% believing the same uh, during that uh, survey period of a year. Even saving a deposit as small as 10% would require putting away 50% of your income, a huge ask given the cost of living, uh, particularly if you're on a single income. So even if you were able to achieve that level of saving, it would take five and a half years to get a 10% deposit for the median priced Auckland property and nearly four years for a median priced property nationwide. So certainly uh, I know in the case of uh, my personal property that that earned more uh, in the last twelve months than I did, so I'm um, probably one of the um, one of those people uh, where the it just shows that in this area in Palmerston North, Manawatu, Manawatu Wanganui, um, there would be many people probably that are in that category as those changes have been really significant, indeed. So what's happening with supply and demand? Well, this article from Melanie Carroll on stuff.co.nz, again it's national statistics, but it says building consents jump up again in February, just shy of 50,000 per year. So those are record levels, Um, and there were almost 4,200 new homes consented last month, and that's up 34% on a year earlier, and it's a record high for the month of February, according to Statistics New Zealand. So for the year ending At the end of February, new homes consented had a fresh annual record of 49,733. That's up 25% on 2021. So that's good. Those consents will flow through. And that was, in terms of the annual amount, was almost 10,000 more consents than the previous February year record, which was set in 1974, and that's been unchallenged until now. So that may help somewhat in some areas, it depends. Um, Auckland's got the highest number of consents for that last 12-month period, almost 21,000, uh, which would indicate, and as we know, the market there is uh, dropping a bit compared to where the massive heights that it has been. Uh, I haven't got figures, unfortunately, for our region But suffice to say that uh, supply versus demand, supply still has not caught up and we're a wee way off, which means house prices should continue to rise. Um, Later this year, probably I think it's June or July, the government will reverse or relax some of the restrictions that they've put on um, that were supposed to target uh, loan sharks and, and supposed to make it harder for organisations to lend. Uh, Really, in my view, they made a mistake with that legislation and they've made all financial institutions, and many of those who already had conservative safeguards in place, like your major banks, um, have to look even more um, strictly at buyers' financial situations to the point where many, many were being declined. Now, why would banks decline lending money? Well, there's huge fines now if they haven't done uh, the proper background checks into people's finances. Now those checks are not well defined. And that's a real problem. They're not well defined in law. So if you're a bank, and let's say you're an individual in the bank, if you lent to somebody irresponsibly that maybe you shouldn't lend to, you could receive a personal fine. I believe it's up to $200,000. So what happened is when they changed that legislation, the bank said, wow, we, we don't want to get caught with those sorts of fines, we don't want it to happen to our staff, we don't want it to happen to our business, let's go extra strict, and that's what's happened. That won't be reversed probably uh, till June or July, I'm guessing July, uh, when the market will, uh, many more buyers will be able to return to the market, and that will make a difference. But we're in this period just at the moment where uh, there's quite a lot of homes on the market, you. If you have seen what's available in the region, it's way more than it used to be. Open homes are quiet. And again, it's just a reflection that it's difficult for people to get the money that they want. And that reflects in this next article, which was in the New Zealand Herald. It says, property report, Auckland house prices fall for the first time in two years. So it says that Auckland house prices have fallen for the first time in almost two years, with one in the city suburb dropping by more than $150,000. So this isn't happening widely around New Zealand, but it is happening in Auckland. So city houses are now worth 1.55 million on average, with values falling very slightly, 0.1% during the first three months of this year. So this article in the headline is dramatic. It says house prices fall for first time in two years. We're talking 0.1 of a percent. Now that's compared to it going up 20 or so percent uh, plus in the last year or so. So it's a small, small dip. Will it continue? Possibly. And will it get worse? Possibly. In in Auckland, we'll wait and see. It depends how many of those new builds are coming online and and what what the demand's like. Another thing that uh, some pundits are saying in the media, although I haven't got a specific article about it today, is that they're wondering when the borders are opened up, will a whole lot of Kiwis move away? Will there be a employee drain or a brain drain to Australia where people, it's well known, can get paid considerably higher than what they get paid in New Zealand. If that happens and people are selling homes, again, that will affect supply and demand, particularly when they're leaving the country. For every uh, family that leaves, uh, that's that's an extra house that's available for those who need it at the moment. So uh, watch that space, see what happens when the government opens up the borders, and it will be interesting to see what happens in the six to 12 months after that. Many Kiwis have gone through a pretty difficult period of hardship with regards to COVID and certainly the appeal uh, for people to earn more money uh, is, is strong and that appeal is does seem to be coming from across the Tasman. We'll just have to see where we go with that. That in its uh, own regard could cause quite considerable problems if a lot of the people leaving are tradies and um, who's going to be building those (laughs) 50,000 homes that I talked about in the previous uh, article. Now if you're getting a bit despondent about uh, being able to afford a property and that sort of thing, this article from Joanna Davis from stuff.co.nz says, A new house for 250,000. Is a relocatable home a way to get on the property market? So if you're looking to buy a home and you can buy them for even less than 100000 you know there's going to be a catch. And in this case, of of the example in this article, the very big catch is that you need to own your own land to put it on, you need to pay removal fees and rebuild costs once the relocated house is on site. So typically uh, these homes are being sold without the land so that uh, people can then develop. So it might be an older something like an ex-state house to be moved or a large home to be moved, so that new homes can be developed. This means that the old homes might actually be fine for living in, but uh, so therefore they sell the homes for a cheap price. And that's where uh, they give the example here of a five-bedroom home, and... Uh, I beg your pardon, a a three-bedroom home, 142-square-metre house, um, and uh, that that some people bought and put onto a holiday park, which is a a possibility for them. They do own the park, though, so it's important to know that. The man who's done that says that uh, one of the benefits is the cost. It costs about half compared to uh, building, he says. And the other side is that we have a lodge and buildings about 50 metres away, so we wanted something to look in keeping, and something new would have looked wrong. So there's always... um, situations there. They are still doing up the interior of the home, although they were able to move in within a month of it being on site. So Warren estimates the whole thing will cost $250,000 once completed. And that's on the high side, it could be, but under that. So they already had the land. So if you're looking at uh, buying land to put a house onto or subdividing, let's talk about buying. You just need to check if there are any covenants On that land first in other words any rules particular to that location about what can be put on many new developments won't allow you to put a older home on they want uh, all the homes in the area to often uh, look and feel uh, very similar nevertheless if it was something that was subdivided um, then you know if you've got a section you can pop a house on but it's amazing what they can do and what machinery they've got to um, effectively lift a home and uh, move it from here to there in our region, uh, one of the companies that does this is Britons, uh, based in Bulls, and that's where, when you're driving through Bulls, you can see uh, a number of the uh, a number of the properties that are there. You can actually go and have a look at them and decide where to move them. And those sort of people have all the information about things like uh, getting services to the house and so forth. What was interesting about this article um, around this this house, this historic villa. Um, or a historic villa they talk about in the article, I should say, um, was moved from Palmerston North up to Clarks Beach in Auckland. So really there's no limits for geography. It's just a matter of the price and then a bit of remedial work. Sometimes they need to uh, literally chop a house up and put it back together at the other end. Um, and, but that's all just part of the, uh, part of the cost. And then, then your decor on top of that um, can cover up um, many things there. I'll just leave through, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, property tax in, in New Zealand when comparing it to other countries but actually I'm going to uh, to skip that one and we're just going to move uh, in the essence of time more on to the rental side of things now. In this article by Dilipa Fonseca at the end of March said "Why or asks, why should you pay attention to New Zealand's rental crisis even if you aren't renting? Now it is an opinion piece but it will lead on to something I'm going to talk about in a moment. So in Delipa's opinion, New Zealand has a long history of being slow to face up to the plight of its renters. The tipping point is normally when the population of renters in an inner city grows to exceed the number of homeowners there, as it's done in the 20s, 30s, 60s and 70s. Past the threshold, you start seeing... Articles uh, like one she talks about from the 1974 edition of Salient, the Victoria University student newspaper, where the author says it's difficult to describe how unpleasant the living conditions are and then goes on to do a pretty good job of describing them. The bedroom carpet is rotted away with mould. Wood lice crawl through the house. The ceilings are mouldy. The mother is Indian, so it's more difficult for the family to find a decent flat at a rent they can afford. Now that's a direct quote from, um, from that article. So really, the situation that uh, the article talks about is um, if we have these uh, terrible properties and properties in, in terrible condition, it's really not hoping, uh, helping much. But it does go on to say that many homeowners or aspiring homeowners might not see why they want the rental situation in New Zealand to improve. But if you, she argues that if you can create improvements, you'll see benefits spill over into other areas because it makes... It's easier for people to rent if the housing market turns hot. Now that she talks about overseas uh, ways of doing things, where Spain, for example, built a huge amount of public housing or public and private rental housing as well. And there's a tendency in New Zealand to think, well, people don't want to rent; they want to buy their properties. But there needs to be some sort of cultural shift, I believe, and to owning, uh, not worrying about um, renting or renting for life. But it is here in New Zealand, homeownership is a desire drilled into everybody from birth. But you do see in cities around the world where renting populations are getting up towards 50% that uh, the apartment living is something which is just accepted and done central city. There's also a number of uh, lifestyle reasons why that can be a good thing to do. So talking about the rental market and the... Government is looking at uh, new legislation to regulate property managers. Now that's a fantastic thing um, to, and I would just widen this if I was the government and this is effectively what this article is about, not, not just to be property managers but all landlords. Why not give all landlords rules they have to abide by to be doing a decent job for tenants? And this article here saddens me because the headline says Do-it-yourself landlords, escape regulations, noose. So this paragraph here was particularly noticeable. Despite all participants, not some, all participants at the recent Housing and Urban Development Ministry workshops urging it to lobby the government to include private landlords, senior officials says it is not in their remit to recommend that. And that's really sad because by number 80% of the landlords in the country are private landlords or do-it-yourself landlords and only 20% are companies etc. Now why is this important? Well it's important because many of the companies, yes there are some that do a bad job and yes I'm absolutely in favour of regulation to sort that out, to to figure out how things can be done but The vast majority, and it really is a vast majority of all claims by tenants against landlords in the country are against private landlords for doing things wrong. And there were 100 submissions put in to the Housing and Urban Development Ministry during the first few days of the submission period. Pierce uh, who is quoted in here David Pierce the Residential Property Managers Association says Associate Housing Minister Porter Williams who is promoting the legislation says she found it unusual for everyone across the industry to agree private landlords should be included or at least registered but he got the distinct impression there will be no change to the regulations as they're proposed. Uh, So It's amazing that the government's saying, yes, we want to regulate uh, the property management industry, but we're going to exclude uh, 80% of the landlords. So what will happen? Uh, Not a lot, really. I mean, the government's proposed regulations will mean that property managers are licensed, having to establish a trust account, which is good, holding insurance, excellent, and undergoing 20 hours of professional development and complying with an independent disciplinary complaints and resolution scheme. Now, my opinion, for there should be a two-tiered structure, not just property managers. So property managers could be held higher to account. For example, their educational standard is too low. The 20 hours of professional development should be much higher than that. Um, and they should have uh, tests around uh, making sure they're proper people and so forth to work in the industry. And so why not have a two-tiered system, property managers who are licensed, who get a much higher education and people know uh, that if they go to them that they are getting value. And then the second tier of all other landlords who have, say, two or more properties and therefore uh, working as a property manager effectively or as a landlord to be licensed with educational standards, Um, they could do the 20 hours of professional development a year um, and the ability to be held to task by independent disciplinary and complaints resolution scheme. So just to clarify, I believe property management should be held to a higher level but all landlords should be held to a level uh, with regards to um, complaints about how they are doing what they do. So the government seems to have no intention of pushing for private landlords to be included in the legislation Housing and Urban Development Ministry sees a biggest issue is who will be the regulator and who will oversee the scheme, says Pierce. Property managers prefer the real estate authority as the regulator and those outside the immediate service have suggested the Ministry of Building Innovation and Employment, which already has deep knowledge of the sector, through involvement with tenancy services. So really the real estate authority uh, has got a very good framework in place for the real estate industry for discipline and so forth. They could just do that under a two-tiered system for property management and the Ministry of Building Innovation and Employment could do it if they wanted to for all other landlords. So there is, there is legislation and regulations that are used in Wales and the Wales models, model includes a register of all property managers and private landlords. Pierce says if it was introduced here, tenants would be able to see the register and MB could use it to determine which property managers and landlords have or haven't deposited bonds into the bonds office. For example, uh, if it was a major problem, MB could tighten property management rules, particularly if it is the industry regulator, as his organisation is suggesting. Pierce says a huge number of people are uh, ignorant about property management and the responsibilities that go with it. Few property owners ask why they get rubbish service, but often it comes down to the biggest problem. In the uh, sorry, why they get rubbish service, I should say, uh, when it comes down to the biggest problem in the industry that's really acknowledged. He believes property managers are overworked. Now that's that's <clears throat> different and outside the realms of this legislation. So therefore, we'll have to see where that goes. Moving on, there's just this article that comes out of Nelson and I've got a soft spot for Nelson after living there for a while. And this says green homes in airspace are proposed to address housing and climate problems. Now what they're looking at is building apartment blocks on stilts over a public car park in central Nelson and that would help provide affordable homes, reduce greenhouse gas emissions Help add buzz to the city, proponents say. Now this article is on stuff by Katie Jones. I'd strongly suggest looking this up. This is a pretty cool looking um, four-level high apartment block um, in, in a car park. The work's been done to see, and I think this is great, because what they're looking at is a Main structure made from locally grown pine would have a much smaller carbon footprint than concrete and steel. There'd be one, two or three bedroom units built in a grid, allowing for the units to be bigger or smaller once a block was constructed. Reducing need to build more homes when the demand changes. And they'd standardise materials to make sure that uh, the building is more cost effective and faster to build. And there would be plantings around the apartment block which would soften the existing square, establishing a green corridor through the city, tying in with the aim of the city's spatial plan to create a pedestrian link across the CVD. There would be sustainable features like rain gardens where water flowed in and was treated there rather than going straight into the drains and seas. So it would make the square a pleasant place to be. Like I said, best if you see the picture of stuff.co.nz. So it's amazing that uh, they would look at building apartments on stilts above an existing car park, but boy, the people that think these things up are pretty cool. So there are, according to uh, the sources in this article, there are 6,000 people that come into Nelson or Central Nelson to work, but only 50 people that live in Central Nelson. So the city missed that buzz and activity and spend that came with having people living in it all the time. So it was a challenge in Nelson to build a unit in town for less than a million dollars, but costs would drop if developers didn't have to buy the land and could lease it from the council. They would benefit prospective buyers and renters, creating a potential revenue stream for the council, he said. So really interesting thinking there, and it makes you wonder where else could that be done. Uh, Many cities have inner-city car parks. Well, sort of, probably not the largest ones. Largest ones have... um, uh, already got um, apartment-like buildings in many places. But even somewhere here, like in Manawatu, you could uh, build uh, over a car park. For example, you could have apartments over part of the plaza car park if you wanted to. And uh, in some of the inner city sites. And they do look really nice they are the low-rise model. And that just creates more housing. So interesting. Low-cost thoughts for our local government, maybe. It's uh, worth worth a consideration, but uh, that was certainly um, captured my attention because I thought that's a great way to do affordable housing close to the city centre and to rejuvenate, in the case of Nelson, a bit of the city centre. And that's all we've got time for this week on Property Matters. It's been lovely having your company. You can find Property Matters anywhere where good podcasts are found. Just look up Property Matters or Greg Watson to find it otherwise here on npr.nz and you can probably subscribe to the show so thanks for listening we'll catch up with you in a week's time if you're a fan of npr listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier just search for accessmedia.nz on the app store or google play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo